Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Sebastian, thanks for taking some time to join me for part three of this small cap mini-series. Really appreciate it, mate. No, great. Good to see you again. Yeah, as always. It's always a good chat. Um, Just chatting off air about the difference between lick structures and fund structures and how that might dictate what goes on inside a a business such as yours. First question I have for you today uh, before we get to the, some stocks in a minute, is you've been running nails for a very long time now, and I'm curious, what's the best thing about that? <laughs> yeah, it was, I did. I, I printed this question off and actually asked all my colleagues who were here today just to see what response I would get. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting. I think, look, g- going back to the basics and probably why I got into funds management, you know, the best thing about running nails, if that's what you want to call it, is... Um, Every day is a new day. You know, I think that that's the best thing about funds management is you, you literally don't know what is around the corner. Um, what may or may not happen to one of your investments, someone you may meet who walks through the door who you've never met before, who might know someone else or might have a great idea. Um, you know, just trying to expect the unexpected. Mm. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people are drawn to equity markets in general, right? Because it's, mm. it's always different. They like that. Sort of, some people call it a rush. I don't call it a rush, but for, for quite long term. Uh, but for me, it's just, you know, trying to react to different circumstances, meeting some fantastic people who are, you know, truly inspiring um, mm. and going along the journey with them. For me, that's that's brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been How long have you been in funds management now? So, yeah, I'm obviously unique. Like, as you would probably know, I've only ever worked at Mayo, so this is my seven, 17th year. Incredible. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not often you come across... Uh, fund managers that have been doing it for 17 years, mate. So kudos to you. And you don't look like you've been doing it for 17 years. I think that's nah, probably- Yeah, and no, I was 21. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, um, I still remember. I remember, that's what I remember when my mentor had my interview. And I think the first thing he said was, don't ever wear, like, don't ever wear an olive green suit to one of these meetings again. Just can't <laughs> wear a black or blue suit. It's got to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the next uh, kind of... Short question I got for you is just um, 
a lot of people, when they're looking at small companies in particular, they come across businesses that they probably never even knew existed. And I'm curious, what's like the the most unusual place you found an idea? Yeah, I was trying to think about this. Um, somebody wanted something quite unique. And to be honest, I couldn't really think of anything overly new, unique. But, you know, literally one of the fun, strangest places I've ever got a, an investment idea was... Um, literally just down at my local gym talking to someone who I've known. We get to, we, we're there sort of five o'clock each morning. I started to get to know him, realises in an industry that we're quite fond of. Um, he then worked out what I did. And then, you know, after 12 months, he puts <laughs> you in touch with someone after you work out what's going on and you become friendly enough. Um, he puts you in touch with someone who's got quite a unique business idea that he knows, that he trusts. He's actually put in money himself. They need to scale um, need sort of more institutional type capital um, and put us in touch. And then, you know, remarkably, by the time we have the meeting, you realise they're quite, well, they're quite proven people have been in the industry for a very, very long time with a unique proposition. Hmm. Um, That's great. Things like that. That's t- generally how we find a lot of our unique ideas. A lot of it is people-based as opposed to people approaching us. It's just through a network hmm. of people knowing, you know, they've got some great businesses that obviously they, they require capital. Hmm. Speaking of... Um one of the things that makes NAS very unique in Australia, I think, is the ability to not just like take long-term concentrated bets on smaller companies on, on listed markets, but also in private markets because you guys have a fund that targeted that targets that, um, which is a very unique thing. Um, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And a lot of our listeners are really fascinated by private markets, probably not really realizing the complexity involved there and how it it, like you said, it requires a network, it requires all these things. Can you just talk to us just briefly about the similarities or differences that you've experienced being both in public markets and private markets? Yeah, no, no, happy to. And it's um, yeah, it's good timing because, you know, obviously we launched this sort of strategy, if that's what we want to call it, 18 months ago. And um, we had a, we've had a couple of very robust discussions internally about do we want to continue down that path? Um, because, you know, like you said, I'd, I'd happily put my hand up and say I was definitely naive when we launched this strategy and how easy it was going to be, even though I run a private business. But, um, you know, f- for me, the differences are probably the most important ones that, that I'll start on, um, and this is just from, from our learnings. And, and the first one would be um, things like systems and processes. You know, we take it for granted when you invest in a listed company, you get a set of audited accounts. Mm. They've got some pretty good management systems behind them. They can get monthly accounts, um, HR, governments, boards, things like that. Um, you venture into private um, private company land and, and it's it's quite a different world. Um, mm. You know, you, you might get your monthly, like obviously we're on a few boards here, but to give you some analogies, you know, sometimes we won't get monthly accounts until three months later <laughs> and you're like, well, it's pretty hard to run a business if you know how your profitability traje- the trajectory is when you've got your monthly accounts and they're three months late. Um, you know, board meetings, oh, you know, we'll send, God, you know, everyone we're having a board meeting on X date, um, you have the board meeting, you literally get the board back probably three hours before the board meeting as opposed to when a public, public company, you'll get it two weeks out. We can have a robust discussion before that. Um, and obviously the other thing that's different is just the robustness of the team and the scale. You know, you're in a listed business, you're probably going to be a little bit bigger. Um, in a private business, you're really backing a few few key people mm. um, and they're just not as 
robust as, as public businesses and you're placing a lot more emphasis on two or three people who have to do the same things essentially under a lot more pressure with not as sophisticated systems they don't have the financial um supposed rigor behind them mm. and, and what that means is you just it's inherently more risky and i think that's what we've discussed internally is for us it's a basic equation just the increased risk that we're taking does it is it being more than offset by the increased return of compared to investing in a public company and that's mm. what we debate internally a lot lately mm. um and i'd say um we're probably still debating that to be honest so i don't think it's that clear cut yeah interesting that's fascinating for a lot of folks because a lot of people that listen to this probably have money they're thinking of writing you know checks of twenty five thousand dollars fifty thousand a hundred thousand whatever um but there's a whole myriad of things that come in that are just unknown unknowns right like you just simply do not know what you don't know until you actually try it and um it sounds wonderful in practice because you hear of these people that go out and do it but there's a lot of work involved and particularly i think you guys have a major advantage in this field if i may which is that like you said you've been doing it for such a long time and you've built such deep industry research by speaking with these people so the deal flow is one huge hurdle that some people can't get over and hopefully for you guys that means a bit more access and a bit more insight than your typical um investor trying to go into this space i got i know we want to get to the companies which we'll get to in just a sec but i got kind of like two more key points i just wanted to cover off with you one was um a lot of folks when they look at smaller companies and i know i remember seeing this in advisor land when i was working at zenith is um they're looking for fund managers and a lot of the times like a lot of the good fund managers in small caps either fill up way too quick or they simply just don't know about the funds until it's too late. And what often is the case with those as well is that a lot of those can't be concentrated because they've got to deal with things like liquidity and behind the scenes, they've got fund flows. So I guess my question is more like around the listed investment company structure and how you guys think about this and how you in particular think about this um, being like the benefits, the pros and cons of that structure for investing in the way that you do. Yeah, no, it's, it's, Obviously, highly, highly topical question as well. Um, you know, for us, it's very simple um, in the sense that I'm a big believer that a fund manager should only use a listed investment company if they're really providing an investment strategy that's truly different to something that you could run in a unit trust. So whether or not that's private equity, essentially assets that require um, a long-term philosophy where liquidity is an issue, I suppose, yep. to, to execute upon that strategy. Um, you know, for us, we, we fall into that basket because um, we have probably 14 core investments. Some of our investments will represent 25% of our gross assets. So large, oh, wow. chunky, concentrated investments in businesses, especially in this market, as we were discussing before. Um, you know, I was going through the portfolio yesterday. And if you look at liquidity, this is not to scare people, but just it's a sign of the times we're in, right? School holidays. Yeah. Um, pretty quiet market. Everyone's a little bit bearish. You know, some of our investments are trading twenty or thirty thousand dollars a day, just because <laughs> it's that quiet. So to run that in the unit trust, we just couldn't do it because we couldn't we couldn't um, meet the redemption requirements that you're probably going to get in a market like this. And at the same time, we probably couldn't meet the application requirements because we would fall into the same issue that you mentioned before. Is you get applications, your fund gets bigger. You've then got to put those, um, put that cash into assets such as some of the ones we own. 
we just become too diversified to run the strategy that we want to, especially with those liquidity requirements. Mm. Um, but then also for us, we think some of the pros are, you know, we actually enjoy being listed. A lot of people don't. They don't like the, the public spotlight and the criticism that can come with that. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the same time, I think it holds you to a very high standard. Um, you know, we try to be transparent. Um, we try to provide first-class information um, to all of our stakeholders. And, you know, I think it gives some of our investee companies um, comfort. We are, a, we are a listed company. We've got a board of directors, all those sort of things. We've got a board of set um, financial accounts. So for us, it suits us perfectly. But, you know, obviously I know there are going to be some sceptics out there that say, well, you know, you're, you're lethal traded at a discount to NTA sometimes. You know, it's a classic example. Like you look at NAC and NCC, I think four months ago, they were at a 17, 15 to 17% discount to NTA. We announce our results and our dividends, and miraculously, they're trading at discounts of now like sub two or three percent. Well, and I couldn't tell you why. I could not <laughs> at all. Um, and but that's just the world that we live in, and I think people view that as an opportunity. That's a cycle, and you need to, to you need to live with it. But I think if you if you run a fund that is just in highly liquid investments in illicit investment structures, probably it's a different proposition. I, I really do appreciate that, and I think that it's um. If you are an individual investor listening to this, you want your fund manager to be able to focus, one, on the investing, but two, to be able to stay true to the label, right? Like you want the investor that you're paying to be able to invest the way that they know how. And so much of the time, a lot of people listening to this would be thinking about investing in funds that they simply don't understand the structure well enough to know that there's serious limitations on that. So um, an education piece around that is really important, like you said, particularly in a market like this. But Got a couple of extra things. One last question before we get to the companies I want to um, quiz you on. First first of all, is um, you've been doing this for a long time. So I'm curious, a lot of people that invest in small smaller companies, you know, think it's great. They think it's like higher returns, sure, more volatility, but higher returns if we can make it through the minefield. Um, for you, what have been some of those harsh lessons that you maybe you could pass on to us now so maybe we don't have to go yeah. through that or if we've, We've experienced yeah. it already. We can relate. Yeah. So let's write some of them down. Um, look, good one. I've definitely learned the hard way is sort of um, don't believe your own bullshit. Don't. You know, I think it's a really, really good lesson. Um, you know, a lot of fund managers think that masters of the universe. I'm sure we all do. Um, and and you believe your own bullshit. You think you're you um sort of like information bias. You just you believe your investment is going to turn out as you expected, regardless of sort of the facts. Um, and I think so. From my perspective, really, you've really got to learn and be very ex- extremely disciplined and objective in the information that you're receiving, and try and read the tea leaves and some of the thoughts you'll get back from your team and other managers and other investors, and really take that on board. Um, and don't try and put your head in the sand. Um, the other one I would say is. You know, people, I think if you look at some of our worst mistakes, it's really come down to people. Um, and even strangely enough, even if they're very aligned, we've always believed that we've had a couple actually where, you know, a couple of CEOs have owned 5, 10, 15% of the business. And you, you look back at some of the decisions they've made and you think, wow, even as a highly aligned investor, we thought that would protect us. And, and it hasn't. If anything, it can potentially lead to to desperation, um, very poor decision making in the hope of getting a very high short term return, but taking on excessive risk. 
Um, <laughs> and that's bitten us a couple of times. Um, and I'd say, what's the third? You know, maybe if I could add two more. Um, sure. Obvious one is debt. I mean, everyone realizes it, but especially, especially in private companies as well. Yeah, <laughs> we say in private. Just, just steer clear of debt because things will go wrong. And the last thing you want to have is the bank over your shoulder saying, you know, I want my money. I'm not, not keen to refinance. I'm keen to get my money back. So it's, it's lights out and it does create a lot of issues. Mm. Um, and the other thing I would say for other people is just, you know, if you look at our worst mistakes, maybe bar one, um, they've been in very small companies. I think hey, give, give yourself a limit of how small you want to go. Because uh, I think, as we said in private companies, yeah, there's probably not a, enough understanding of some of the issues and risks associated with investing in these small companies. So we put more of a limit on how low we will go, whereby in early years we probably would have gone very small. We'll still go small, like very small compared to our peers. Um, but there's just a level where I, I don't think the opportunity offsets um, the increased risk you're taking to those very small businesses. Can I just double click on one, which is the management piece and the alignment there? Is there, like, do you guys have any rules of thumb that you apply to that in particular around, um, like, do you seek now uh, an independent board that might have shares or how, how do you think about that? Yeah, so I think we've really grown up in the way that we, um, I suppose, do our reference checks. So we, in, in our marketing material, we used an example whereby we, we bought a big stake in a business called Gentrack. They, they appointed a new CEO and he was from a, a business called Amdocs, which was listed on the NASDAQ, American guy, Texan. Uh, and super hard to understand who he was, his background, because we, we didn't have any idea. Um, so that, what we did, we spent a few weeks doing this. The team did a great job. I think we found 17 references through LinkedIn, literally sent them a message. Hi, Sebastian from NAOS. We've run to Gary. Um, would you be keen for a chat? Um, and you'll get no go away. Sure, happy to, happy to, but I'm going to let Gary know. Um, and and it's the best way to to really get some fantastic objective information on how these people um, work, what makes them tick, how they've executed in a previous life. Um, and in that case, you know, 80% of them really came back with glowing references and and really gave us some tangible. Um, ideas on what Gary's done and how he's done it and why that would make sense for him to do the same thing at Gentra. Uh, I think, you know, probably previously you, you take things on face value. You know, this is many years ago, not, not last year. Um, and it can really buy you. Um, you know, that's, that would all also, especially in equity markets, again, without not being too cynical. Um, you know, when people want an investor or an investment or they want money, you know, they're, they're going to say certain things to try and give themselves the best chance to make that happen. Mm. And it may not necessarily be the truth. Mm. So yeah, I like really that. Um, so just with the last few minutes to go here, I'd like to maybe just pick your brain on a couple of ideas. But for folks that are listening to this, I would highly encourage you to go and uh, grab a ticket to the Naos Roadshow. There's a link in the show notes. Um, check it out, all major cities basically. Um, check out, you know, meet Seb, meet the team. Uh, it'd be great for you to get out and just learn from these guys when you've got the chance to ask them questions in real life. So... Uh, mate, I'd actually bring two comments to tell. I have no idea what you're going to say, so I'm, I'm curious to see where you take this. Yeah, so we, we had to think about this. I think, you know, I picked one, which I know you, you've spoken to Chris from Move. So the one we mm. picked is Move Logistics. Um, you know, if you were going to say what type of investment or if someone was going to judge me on it, it's your... <laughs> 
typical turnaround, rock bottom, sort of deep value play if, if people are up for that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, it goes back to what we are talking about before. This is 100% all about people. Um, you know, they picked up a, a gentleman called Craig Evans. He's the CEO. He's been in the job for six months. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners would know Main Freight. It's been mm. a compound of forever. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So Craig ran Main Freight New Zealand for eight years. Hmm. He, he's in the Main Freight book. Um, it was originally um, hired by, worked with Bruce and Don in the very, very early days, sweeping floors. Um, you wouldn't find anyone better to run a logistics business outside of Main Freight. So we're really taking the view that, you know, they've got $300 million of revenue. They've got a good network. They've got about, if you look at their executive team, I think in last count, we got to close to 15 people have come out of that Main Freight business. So the head of HR, people and culture, it was a point only a few weeks ago was the same position again in Main Freight New Zealand, really sort of bringing the band together um, and trying to do something slightly different to Main Freight and turn that $300 million of revenue in, into profit, which it currently isn't. Um, mm. But, you know, as you know, logistics mm. in general is a pretty tough industry. Um, but I would, if any, any of your listeners are able to go through just the move annual report, so the first annual report on under the new leadership and just little things like they've started a graduate program, you know, Craig saying, you know, we don't want to be hire in three or three to five years time. We don't want to be bringing in old hacks like me from other organizations. We want to hire from, we always want to promote internally, which is just like main freight. Um, they brought in a profit sharing agreement. He gave back his million um, share rights that he got when he joined, essentially a million dollars. He forfeited, gave it back and said, I want to be on the same profit share agreement as all the rest of my staff. Just a lot of little things. They're trying to build a culture that we think is quite special um, and really build like a legacy and quite a unique business. So for right. us, that'd be the first one, mm -hmm. quite different. Yeah. Um, that not many people looking at. And then the, the second one we've been in for a long time. Um, it's, a, it's a business, been around for 110 years, big river group, founded um, in the north coast of um, New South Wales and Grafton. Everyone seems to think it's a timber business. It's not. Um, <laughs> so essentially, it, 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 they distribute building materials, which wouldn't sound overly exciting for many of your listeners. Um, but what they focus on is providing building materials to trade players, trade customers. So don't think of Seb's, I don't know, bathroom, Renault's, PCY, LTD. Think of, <laughs> um, you know, someone who's building you know, 20 townhouses, yeah. a block of 50 units. So medium-sized tradie, you know, people have been working on some of the large commercial projects in Queensland and, and New South Wales. Um, people who need to source a wide variety of trade products, building products from one location, they want someone to deliver them in scale at a good price with, with a reasonable level of expertise. Um, you know, we, we like this business because it's quite a, it's very much a, um, what I'm looking for, the cottage industry. So, yep. you know, many of your investors like Manfred, they probably know Reese Plumbing. Oh. Um, you know, Reese been around for 100 years, started with um, one store. I was doing my research the other day. But essentially that business just consolidated that entire market over a very, very long time mm. by consolidating, essentially supplying plumbing supplies to, to trade players, to trade customers. It was exactly what Big River's doing but in regards to building materials. Um, so we think there's a, you know, when we invested, there were 100 and, 
$20 million in revenue. I'll go close to doing half a billion dollars this year over eight years. You know, the, the, the plan wow. stipulates a, you know, a trajectory out to a billion dollars, hopefully over the next five years. Sure, and they do a lot of that through acquisition, um, but you, you'd be surprised how many baby boomers out there own some really great, large, profitable trade-focused um, building products. Businesses that, you know, the kids don't want to run. They have absolutely zero interest in running these businesses. <laughs> um, and they're really the only place they can go is to a, a Metcash through Mitre 10, maybe, um, or to someone like a Big River. And a lot of the time I'll prefer to go to someone like a Big River where um, a lot of other vendors have been really happy with that experience and gone along with the journey of taking Big River shares as opposed to being corporatized and mm. putting through a big big machine. Um, yeah, so that'd be the two. Very great. So, um, so we've got Move Logistics and Big River. Just quickly on Big River, how long have you held that for? Just roughly off the top of your head. Oh, yeah, like kind of seven or eight years. So, yeah, yeah wow. we own 30, I mean, a lot, 36% were on the board. Um, but, yeah, just to, for me, and it goes back again to that point saying both of those just very simple strategies. Hmm. They're not trying to overcomplicate it. They're not trying to create something completely new just trying to do one thing and it's what i'm saying in my roadshow presentation if you look a lot of businesses like jb hi-fi and race things like that they do one thing and they do it exceptionally well yeah and they can scale and i think people especially me people underestimate you know the growth ahead for some of those businesses that can execute exceptionally well focus is so important in any business yeah. right it's just so important so yeah. yeah couldn't agree more um just quickly just Quick one for the roadshow to come and see you or Rob present. Um, it's free for people to attend. Yeah, so um, yeah, we've we've done these now for eleven years. So it'll be myself and Rob um, and, and two other members. Essentially, all we do is it's definitely it's not a product push. If anyone mm. knows how I tend to present, it's definitely not a product. Push. <laughs> um, it really just gives you an idea on where we're investing, how we're seeing the markets, um, some new investment ideas, and I suppose how we see. A little bit of an outlook which we try to provide um mm. sometimes we do get a few ceos to present as well um so we'll see how we go this time but yeah it's quite just an objective very transparent chat i like it yeah because i've been along to them and mm. um it's just great to be able to catch up with you guys um grab a drink meet you person um hear the stories of the companies and just ask you questions because you guys have been doing it for so long so if you're listening to this i'm just going to rattle off the the uh, locations one more time. We've got Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, Newcastle, Perth, Canberra, and Sydney. Come along, um, meet the team, learn from ex very experienced and successful fund managers, and uh, enjoy your enjoy your free sandwich and uh, your coffee. Uh, but final question for you, Seb, before I let you go, is um, if you could leave us with one lesson, people that are thinking about small caps, they've seen like the small cap index has been like beaten up over the last couple of years. And they're thinking now is the time. I'm a long-term investor and I know that I should be allocating to this asset class in my portfolio. What would you be saying to people? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, maybe I'll go back to my roadshow because that's the exact topic that I'm running with um, and that sort of psychology. Um, yeah. For me, it's, you know, you should be looking at this space. If you look at some of the biggest brands and businesses that are in the ASX 20 or 50 today, like some of the ones I've rattled off, you know, try and find some businesses that you believe do one thing, do it well, 
have a simple strategy that you can understand and, and allocate to those businesses and take a very long-term view. Um, mm. Businesses don't succeed or fail in six months, um, <laughs> even though even though being a listed business, they're judged like that. And you know, if you go and look at you know, Reese and JB Hi-Fi, as I said, which I'm speaking about, you know, they, I remember going through periods where JB Hi-Fi people thought it was the end, the world was over for JB yeah. Hi-Fi, wouldn't be able to compete, no one's going to buy CDs anymore, X, Y, Z. Um, you know, look at it today. It's I think it's the seventh biggest electronics retailer in the globe. Wow. Um, you know, same with Reese. You know, people would have gone through the same thing where they said, oh, they, there's no way they can grow in Australia anymore. They've consolidated too much in the market. And obviously, look at what they've done. Hmm. So, yeah, for me, it's all about understanding a business you can relate to, that it's simple, that you believe has got a sound long-term growth trajectory with some industry tailwinds, either share and close your eyes and see what happens over you know, five to ten years. I love it, mate. And I love the, the transparency and the, the candidness which you deliver there. The message so uh, i do really appreciate it. i'm sure everyone listening to this will too and look forward to meeting you in person mate so thanks for yeah, taking the time out no thank you thanks for the support and have a great day cheers Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income, and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own 
was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RAS community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargen. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All Rask users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. 
I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor, an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.